0: Family, if you would uh, please turn with me to Mark chapter 14. <clears throat> we're going to be Mark chapter 14, verse 53. And we're going to be reading verse 53 through 72. And I would ask that you please stand with me for the reading of God's word. Mark chapter 14, verse 53. And this is what the active, living word of God declares to us today. And they led Jesus to the high priest. And all the chief priests and the elders and the scribes came together. And Peter had followed him at a distance, right into the courtyard of the high priest. And he was sitting with the guards and warming himself by the fire. Now the chief priests and the whole council were seeking testimony against Jesus to put him to death. But they found none. For many bore false witness against him, but their testimony did not agree. And sons stood up and bore false witness against him, saying, We heard him say, I will destroy this temple that is made with hands, and in three days I will build another, not made with hands. Yet even about this, their testimony did not agree. And the high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, Have you no answer to make? What is it that these men are that testify against you? But he remained silent and made no answer. And again, the high priest asked him, Are you the Christ, the son of the blessed? And Jesus said, I am. And You will see the son of man seated at the right hand of power and the coming with the clouds of heaven. And the priest tore his garments and said, What further witness do we need? You've heard his blasphemy. What is your decision? And they all condemned him as deserving death. And some began to spit on him and to cover his face and to strike him, saying to him, prophesy. And the guards received him with blows. And as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servants, girls, of the high priest came, and seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, you also were with the Nazarene Jesus. But he denied, saying, I neither know nor understand what you mean. And he went into the gateway, and the rooster crowed. And again the servant girl saw him and began again to say to the bystanders, this man is one of them. But again he denied it. And after a little while, The bystanders again said to Peter, Certainly you're one of them, for you're a Galilean. But he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. And immediately the rooster crowed a second time. And Peter, remembered how Jesus had said to him, Before the rooster crows twice, You will deny me three times. And he broke down and wept. You may be seated for the reading of God's word. So last week, Pastor Sergio was talking about the garden of Gethsemane and how Jesus was at this point. His soul was sorrowful, even to death. He had a heaviness. He was heavy in his heart because he knew what was to come. And, man, that message, I saw it earlier this week on uh, Vimo. Is that how you say Vimo? Is it Vimo? Is that how you say it? I don't know how you say it. It's it's Vimeo or Vimeo, Vimo, whatever. Y'all know what I mean. I saw it earlier on the website, and I'm like, man, it was so convicting. It was really convicting. So today we're going to be looking at how Jesus himself takes a place for us the trial that we are to be on trial for. And we're going to look at how, how Peter denies Jesus, and how we ourselves have denied Jesus. So here's a picture. In 1967, a man by the name of James James Richardson was accused of killing his seven children. He was accused of killing his seven children that came home to eat a meal. Their food was laced with pesticides, Now, pesticides is something you use to kill bugs. The kids were eating beans, rice, and cheese. And that food had pesticides in it. Seven of his children died. Seven of his children died. When his children died, the court framed James Richardson knowing that there was evidence that was supporting that he was innocent but they wanted a fall guy they wanted somebody to put the blame on so mr richardson was in prison for 21 years now you can imagine i mean i was really thinking about this example and i was trying to put myself in this guy's place and so i have three children And I started thinking to myself, like, man, if someone murdered my children and I was being falsely imprisoned. I would be thinking, like, like, man, who killed my children? You got the wrong guy. I'm not the guy. My kids are dead. You need to help me. I mean, I could imagine I would be screaming in the courtroom for justice. Like, you need to find the murderer. You need to find the person that killed my kids. He was falsely imprisoned for 21 years. And for 21 of those years, four to five years were spent on death row. Can you imagine that? Now, death row is where, the, if, if I'm not mistaken, is someone who's awaited to be executed. Think about that. This guy's on death row to be executed because seven of his children died. He was falsely imprisoned. Not only that, but his kids were dead. And, you know, when we hear stories like that, we think to ourselves, man, like, how sad is that? You know, like, this guy lost all his years of his life behind bars, falsely imprisoned. And we think, man, how much time he spent on the inside not only feeling the weight and the condemnation of being alone and tired and weary and trying to find a battle by himself. I watched the video last night of his testimony. It was very powerful. He had a lot of anger and hate toward them at one point, but he said he was able to forgive them because of God. But that's not where I want to go here today. What I really want us to look at is the innocent life of Jesus. The year is A.D. 33. It's nighttime. They just came to get Jesus with weapons and clubs. They're using the cover of darkness to come get Jesus as, he, as he's a criminal, like if he did something wrong. And they're coming to get him by the stealth of night, the cover of night. You know, when someone wants to do something where you don't see you doing it, you do it at nighttime. They were trying to cover something up, and that's exactly what they did. And they led Jesus to the high priests, and all the chief priests and the elders, and the scribes came together, and Peter had followed him at a distance. And they led Jesus to the high priests, and the chief priests and the elders, and the scribes came together. When I read this verse immediately, Isaiah 53, verse 7, came to mind. Look at what it says. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth, like a lamb that is led to a slaughter, and like a sheep that's before shears is silent. So he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And immediately this verse came to my mind. Because Jesus is being led away to the high priest as a lamb of sacrifice. He is the lamb of God that's going to be sacrificed. And he knows this. Look at my boy Peter, verse 54. And Peter had followed him at a distance, right into the courtyard of the high priest. This is the same arrogant, prideful Peter that said, even though they fall away, I will not. Jesus had just been captured. And here goes Peter following them at a distance. And I can imagine he was probably hiding behind some trees or rocks because he didn't want to be seen. But he's following following him at a distance. And you look at that. Like you see the the, the courageous heart of Peter. Like he, he seems courageous. He's going into the face of danger to follow his king, to follow Jesus. And it almost looks like, man, like, he, yeah, he, he, he ran away, but he came back. And it's crazy. Look what happens. He went to the courtyard of the high priest. Look at this. And he was sitting with the guards and warming himself at the fire. Man, he was with the same guards that just captured Jesus. The same people that just came and got Jesus, he's with them in the courtyard, warming himself, warming himself. Now watch this. My boy, Peter's bold, man. You know, Peter, he reminds me, I'm I'm a lot like Peter. And I thank God for Peter's life because I, I see how I fail as a man and the gospel applies to me. Now the chief priests and the whole council were seeking testimony against Jesus to put him to death. Jesus is about to go under pressure. He knows what's before him. He's about to get drilled. But watch this, with what? With false witnesses. And look at the heart motive of, of these people, man. Look at this. Look at Mark 14.1. For example, Mark 14.1 says, It was now two days before the Passover and the feast of the unleavened bread, And the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to arrest him by stealth and kill him. This is the people that Jesus is going to, the same people who want to kill him, the same people who want to destroy him. That's who he's going to. I mean, it's not a fair trial, in other words. These people are corrupt. They got a a motive. They got an agenda. They got a messed up heart. And that's the point of the story is that they're going to false witnesses. They're going to a priest, a high priest, who wants him dead. It's not like they're in favor for Jesus. Like, let's hear your story, Jesus. Tell us what happened. Okay, that's what happened. Okay, well, you're innocent. No, they have a heart motive. They want to see Jesus destroyed. That's what it says in Mark uh, 3, 6. They wanted to destroy Jesus. And that's crazy. That is crazy. But that's what we're seeing. Verse 55. Now, the chief priests and the whole council were seeking testimony against Jesus to put him to death. But they found none. For many bore false witnesses, for many bore false witness against him. But their testimony did not agree. All these people came forward. Many, it says, came forward. False witnesses, but their stories did line up. They're probably asking the guy that Jesus healed who could not see. They're probably asking the guy that Jesus healed that was lame. They're probably asking the leopard. But no evidence that they could bring forward to condemn Jesus. Because see, Jesus is truly the innocent sufferer. He is truly the innocent sufferer who done no wrong. So we look at this trial. Man, it's so lopsided. So corrupt, so corrupt. And some stood up and bore false witness against him, saying, We heard him say, I will destroy this temple that is made with hands, and in three days I will build another, not made with hands. Now we know that that's speaking of his physical body. We know that's what Jesus was referring to. We know that, but they didn't understand that. Yet even about this, their testimony did not agree. And the high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, Have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? But he remained silent. Man, exactly what Isaiah said. He just remained silent before his shearers. He'd opened his mouth not. And again, the high priest asked him, Are you the Christ?" The Son of the Blessed. Look how Jesus stands up for truth at this moment. He answered, I am. And you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. Man, Jesus was showing them, listen, I am. He's using language to point to his divinity, right? He's using language to say, I am. But not only is he doing that, but he's also saying to them when he tells them he's the son of man, that he himself will be the judge. See, they're the judges right now judging Jesus on an unfair trial. They're judging him, condemning him to death. But what we see is ultimately he's saying, I am the son of man. This points to a future when Jesus will come back and judge the world. Look at what he says. And you will see him seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. Man, I think about this, how unfair this trial is. I mean, I mean, I mean, really step back and take a look at this. I mean, this is God's active living word. It's not some words I'm just reading, but this is alive and it applies to our life. And when we read this, 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 this book that has God's word, we can be transformed by the words that are in here because these promises applies for us. And When we look at Jesus being so unfairly treated as a criminal, man, it breaks my heart. Look at what Daniel chapter 7 verse, verse 14 says. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. And his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. When Jesus calls himself the son of man, what he's telling them is that he has dominion. He has glory. He has an everlasting dominion and it will not pass away. That's what he's saying to them. This is the King of glory. This is Jesus responding back in the face of truth. I've been face to face with guns in my life where I was going to be killed. And I could tell you, I ran away in fear. Jesus knows what's exactly about to happen to him, and he doesn't run away. From fear, he stands in front of his accusers, and he tells them, "I am, and you will see the Son of Man. That future day, where I will be your judge." That's what he's telling him, because he has all the power, all the domin- all the dominion, all the glory. Now, Jesus spoke the truth in the face of his accusers. And there's three reasons why. The first reason is this. Number one, to fulfill all that was written of him. To fulfill all what was written of him. Number two, Jesus is on the trial for you and I. The reason why Jesus is speaking the truth and doing what he's doing is because he's on trial for you and I. See, Romans 3.23 says that for all have sinned and fall short of God's glory. And how this scripture applies to you and I is that, is that Jesus is unfairly judged. And that's exactly the place where you and I come. Man, we bring nothing to God's table to say, God, look at all my good works that I've done. But when God changes us and he gives us that new hope and new heart, he's done it because he's pardoned us. But for that to happen, someone needed to die. Someone needed to take our place. And that's why, number three, Jesus is our substitute. It says in 2 Corinthians 5.21 that he who knew no sin became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. Right? Can I get an amen? amen? Amen. I just want to see if y'all are awake. All right. I'm so serious right now. But no, But for real, this is a serious matter. Like, man, like, 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 I was really, like, like, really taken back by this text, especially the part where they start to beat him and spit on him. And they're, tell, they're beating him with clubs saying, prophesy. Like, man, that's crazy. Like, I'll, I'll be real with y'all. When I started reading this, I started to cry at the end because I could just imagine what they, how they were treating him. Think of what they tell him. Look what the high priest does, verse 63. And the high priest tore his garments and said, what further witness do we need? You've heard his blasphemy. What is your decision? And they all condemned him as deserving death. Man, that's crazy. But they condemned him to death because of what he said. He said, I am. He said, he's a son of man. He said, you'll be seated at the right hand of the power of the father. They wanted to kill him. So some began to spit on him. To cover his face and to strike him, saying to him, prophesy. And the guards received him with blows. Man. You know, I had a conversation with somebody the other day and um, it was a while ago and they really believed that they were a good person by the things that they did and that, you know, that everybody should be forgiven, that everybody should be accepted into God's kingdom. It doesn't matter what religion you follow that all people come to God. And it was interesting because, you know, I I thought about that. I'm like, man, so many times people think that God needed to forgive us but we know that 2 Peter 2.4 says that God didn't spare the angels. They rebelled against God. And you know what he did? He cast them in to judgment. God didn't need to forgive us. We don't, we don't, we don't deserve anything at all. What do we deserve? Nothing at all. That's why Jesus' life, his substitutionary work, what he did on the cross is so important. He gets our sin, we get his perfect life. And I know that we say that all the time, but man, I'm going to tell you all something. So many times that becomes so commonplace to us. So many times we, it becomes, oh yeah, Jesus died for my sin. But in fact, that's the power that changed you. That's the thing that made you alive. How is it not the same power that's going to remind you of God's goodness? of the hope that lies within you. Listen, it's not about me preaching here Sunday. I went to a conference this week, and this, this, this brother, he, he's traveled over 70 countries preaching the gospel, teaching the gospel. He had the ability to be in, in a big stadium where they could have built a several million dollar building. And you know what he did? He turned it down. You know why? Because he wanted to make disciples. He wanted to make disciples. And he said, I saw what was more important. It wasn't about bringing people in on a Sunday and having them listen to God's word, go out and live the same life they've lived. He's like, imagine if every single person in your congregation would spend 15 minutes with God every single day. What would happen? And this is a room of pastors. They knew what I know and what we all know here. If we spent time... In community with the Father, in his word, being transformed, not by what we think or what we feel, but by his active, living word. Because man does not live all bread alone, but every word that comes out the mouth of God. And at the end of the day, this is what transforms us. And this brother said, we've made disciples, we've raised churches, and it's all about making known the excellencies of his grace and his mercy throughout the world. And they're in Asia. Right now, they just started a new, new, new church in El Salvador. That's my home country for any Salvadorians out there. Yeah, one, two, two, okay. Oh, you too, Brother Marshall. Thank you, bro. Appreciate that. Thank you, Brother Marshall. I love you, bro. That's why I love you. You're diverse. Um, but yeah, you know, like it's not about Sunday, family. I mean, it's really allowing the word of God to transform us so that we would go back where we're at. And to know, like, you know what? Yeah, Jesus died for me. Like, he bore my sin. I need, to go say, I need to go share that same hope and promise with my friends, my neighbors, with my coworkers. My best friend needs to hear this message because if I love my friend, man, I don't want him to die. And it's not just about death. But it's about a new life. It's about being restored to the original design that we were created to be in with community, with the Father. That's what it's about. I mean, a doctor is in the business of saving people's lives. I feel like we have a better job than that. We're in the the business of saving souls. Not for the money, not for the fame, not for the glory, because God will share his glory with no one. He won't. He won't. So you are the you are the light, you are the salt, you are the ambassadors of the King. Be reminded of that. I'm totally off subject, but you know what? That's okay. Because my heart's so filled with that. You know, you guys would be so that you guys would believe when you read the epistles and you read what Paul writes. He's always reminding them. Look, this is who you are now. You were once this way. You were once adulterers. You were once idolaters, sexually immoral, fornicators, drunkards. Such were, were some of you. But now, but now we live our life unto the glory of God. We are restored people, brothers and sisters, to go share the gospel. Of Jesus, man. To bear that witness. So let's see how Peter bears witness. Now we're getting back on subject. All right. We can edit out that video. Don't worry. Okay. And Peter was below in the courtyard. One of the servant girls of the high priest came and seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, you are also with the Nazarene. So this dude, Peter's in the courtyard with the guards, warming himself by the fire and this guy, I don't know if he has any common sense or not. Maybe it's just the boldness. Maybe he's just courageous. I don't know. I'm going to ask him that when I see him that, though. What were, you, what were you really thinking, you know? But you look at this. The servant girl identifies him. How does he react? Look at it. But he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you mean. This dude's playing dumb. It reminds me of my kids. When I tell them, they did something wrong, they play dumb. They don't act like they don't know what I'm talking about. Did you do that? What are you talking about, Dad? Like, they have no idea what I'm talking about. But I know they know that they did what they did. You know, I don't know why kids do that. But this is what Peter's doing. He's playing dumb. And he went out in the gateway, and the rooster crowed. There's the first crow. And the servant girl saw him and began to say to the bystander, bystanders, This man is one of them, but again he denied it. And after a little while, the bystanders again said to Peter, Certainly you are one of them. You're a Galilean. Now listen, there's three reasons why we fall into denying Jesus. Three basic reasons. Fear, people-pleasing, and shame. Now there's more more root issues there, but those are the three surface issues. Fear. People pleasing and shame. We're afraid what people may say if they find out we're Christians. We're people pleasing, where we don't want to disagree with people and we say, yeah, 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 you're right. So we deny Jesus. And there's shame. We don't want to be associated as being those people, right? Those people you see on TV and your friends start talking, oh, look at those Christians. Look at those people can't classify Christians all in one group. It's unfair. But fear, people-pleasing, and shame. And that's exactly what Peter is facing. But watch this. I want you to turn with me to Luke chapter 22. We're going to be in verse 31. Look at how our Savior beforehand shows grace to Peter. That he's going to restore him. Watch this. Luke chapter 22, verse 31. It's up there too. It's what it says. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. Here it is. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, Strengthen your brothers. Jesus knew that Peter was going to fall away. He tells them he is. Jesus knew that he was going to deny him, which he does. And Jesus knew that he was going to be a coward and run to save his own life. Man, Peter, 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 Peter. But look at the promise. Look at that. Can you bring it up again real quick, brother? Look at that. Look at verse 32. But I have prayed for you. You know what happens when Jesus prays for you? Whatever he says comes true, no matter what it is, because he prayed for you that your faith may not fail you. He's speaking to Peter. He's telling Peter, this is what I've done for you before he denied him. And even though Peter denies him, I'm sure he remembered that too. Go with me to Luke chapter 22, verse 16 and 61. I'm going to move over just several verses, or it should be on the screen. So remember, Jesus knew that he was going to deny him. He tells Peter he's going to pray for him, that his faith may not fail him. Now watch this. This is is in, in Luke's account. But Peter said, man, I do not know what you are talking about. And immediately he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And watch this. This is what Jesus does. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he said it, how he said it to him. Before the rooster crows today, you would deny me three times. Now listen to me, family. When Peter was denying Jesus, He remembered these words. Jesus knew that he was going to fall away and deny him. But that didn't change the way how he looked at Peter. So when he locked eyes on Peter, they weren't eyes of condemnation. They weren't eyes of anger or disappointment or fear. They were eyes of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's where his eyes were locked on when he saw Peter. Man, Jesus is unmoving, man. He is the rock. So, you know, I asked myself this question as I was reading this text, you know, like, how have we denied Jesus? Because, you know, in the face of danger, Peter just denying Jesus. Jesus stands in front of his accuser, speaks the truth in the face of death. Now, now now Peter's being accused by a little girl, or it says "girl, right? And bystanders, and he quickly lies and denies. Look at verse 71. He began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear. Man, did you catch that part? Look at that again. He began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear. Yeah, really, for real, Peter? Look at what he says. I do not know this man of whom you speak. For real? Man, Peter, wow. I don't know this man of whom you speak. That's some heavy words, man. He straight up denied Jesus. Jesus. I'm gonna tell you of a story of a young man. The Lord saved him at 17. He was prideful and arrogant like Peter. He was gonna follow Jesus even to death, and he was gonna show the world that he was a better follower than all the other followers of Jesus. And obedience was gonna be the way he did it. But the frustration grew after seeing that he could not overcome certain areas of his sin that he was going through. And some of the same sins he was dealing with, he was still dealing with after he started to follow Jesus. There was growth, but the young man was not satisfied with the growth. He was impatient. This led him to rely on his own strength, on his own power. And just like any motor, when you run it on empty, what happens, Brother Joe? It dies, right? It goes empty. So he went empty. He we walked away from community. He walked away from the body. He walked away in frustration because his obedience kept on failing him. So he began to live a wild life, seeking pleasures, seeking false hopes. He once worshipped Jesus. Now he was worshipping himself. And you know what he was doing? He was denying Jesus in all the areas of his life because he compromised his belief in what it meant to be a follower of Jesus. For six years, he lived in denial of Jesus. He denied Jesus and believed that he was too broken beyond repair for God to repair. him. And he kept saying, when I get better, when I can obey, I will follow Jesus. Because from the world's eyes, he looked like a lost cause. A professing Christian by words, a wild animal and beast at night. Man, this guy right here. He looked like the world act like the world, talk like the world. By all means, he looked that he was from the world. He had nothing to bring to God and everything that the world considers successful. He had nothing to bring to God. But by the world's eyes, he was successful. His life had totally become a denial. But God... Just as Jesus prayed for Peter, so God had prayed for this young man because God wasn't done with him. God was going to restore this young man. See, because when Jesus prays for you, what he prays comes to completion. His word does not return void. It accomplishes his purpose. The whole time, God had never left this young man. But what God was doing was teaching this young man a valuable lesson. Even though that he knew that this young man would deny him in his life, in his way of living, every single way, God would restore him. And when he came back, God received him with open arms. He didn't cast him away and say, I know where you've been, I know what you've done, and I can't forgive that. That's not what God did. He knew that that young man was going to deny him, but he prayed for him. When the young man came back, he received him with open arms. He received him with arms of love, with arms embracing him. Have we ever denied Jesus in any area of our life? Have we buckled under the weight of being seen and looked like we're going to be looked at less than? That we're a Christian. See, there's two lessons to be learned from Peter and this young man. See, Peter denied Jesus in the face of death where his life was in danger. And this young man denied Jesus in his life, professing to follow Jesus, professing Jesus is my Lord. That's what I mean by professing. But in complete rebellion against what God had called him to do, because he was relying on his own strength and his own power. Now, I ask, I ask this question because I truly believe that we can all identify with Peter. I mean, for real, like haven't we denied Jesus in one way or another, like at work, school? You know, when I, when I really, when I really, when I really ask myself that question, there's a reason why. Because, see, if we're, if we're not real with ourselves and we don't know our blind spot and how we fail, we're just literally just saying to ourselves, I know what's best. I know what's right. And we have that same arrogant, prideful heart. When we deny Jesus, we compromise our belief of the truth. But the reality is, family, is that even though we've denied Jesus, even though we've walked away, that there's hope. Like this young man who came back. That's the hope for you and I. The hope for me is that I would see every one of y'all, man, maturing and growing, not becoming impatient, not relying on yourselves for your own strength, your own power, because you will run on E. You will. We need to rely on Jesus. If we deny Jesus in our lives before, there's mercy and grace that he gives you repent of that. It's sinful. I know because I was that young man in the story. That's how I know. I've seen God's mercy. I've tasted of his grace and it's real family. He extends those mercies to us every single day. Jesus restored Peter so he would go and strengthen his brothers. God wants to restore Every one of us so that we would strengthen the people around us, that we would share the gospel with the people around us so we would be a light. So we'd bring that hope. It's not about Sundays. It's not about reading our Bibles. It's not about going to church and meeting new friends and people and Facebook status updates, going to church, hashtag winning, you know. It's not about that. You know, it's not. Everything will fade away. And what matters is, Lord, what did I do with the truth that you gave me? The precious gospel that you laid your life down for, the bride of Christ, the church. Lord, how am I strengthening my brothers and sisters in the faith? How am I using my spiritual gifts for the body? Or am I just thinking about my own self, my own kingdom, right? Lord, save me. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. I'm going to go home and live my life and do what I want to do. Or do we live that same sacrificial life that we see in the gospel where Jesus lays down his life for his friends? We have the cure that man has been fighting since the beginning of the fall. Man's been fighting with death and sin until Jesus came and conquered those two things. And it's through the power and the proclamation of the gospel that people are saved. It's by the work of God's grace and Holy Spirit working and doing that work. We're just called to faithfully proclaim that and not deny Jesus, not to shrink back when someone says, hey, are you a Christian? Like, yeah, I follow Jesus. Can I tell you a little bit about him? I had a conversation with a Mormon the other day and she's been in the Mormon church for right around, man, I think 40 years, 30 years, something crazy like that. She's like a third or fourth generation Mormon. So you would consider maybe like one of those really like, like like knowing of the faith and of the Mormon faith. And she did, like she really did. You know what that conversation looked like? It wasn't hostile. It wasn't like, I'm going to tell you how wrong you are. It was more like, hey, let's sit down and have a conversation. And, uh, you know, we're talking about landscaping to begin with. And the conversation shifted gears. And she said something about her faith. And I was able to open up and talk to her about, you know, religion. In In her words, I use the word religion, but we know it's the faith. It's the gospel. I was meeting her where she understood me at. And you know what she said? She started sharing to me what they believed, which is completely works-based. But then I, sh- I shared with her, you know what the gospel says is that, that we don't need to work to earn our salvation. It was a very healthy conversation where she wanted me to come back again and talk to her again about that. Being witnesses for Jesus in every area of our lives and not denying him, not shrinking back when someone asks us, are we a Christian? And I will say this, family, let not the gospel become commonplace to you. Let it not be. And the way you do that is by sharing the gospel with your own self, reminding how sinful you were and how messed up you were. I've, I've been asked before, they're like, all you guys do is preach the gospel. And I'm like, yeah, because that's what changes us is the gospel. It's the power of salvation unto man. And if, as Jeff Vanderstelt says, it's the way of the kingdom and the way into the kingdom. The gospel transforms this family. And immediately the rooster crowed a second time, and Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and wept. He was repentant of what he'd done. So family, we take this time, In our service, to really ask, before we take communion, a time of reflection and repentance. You know, if you ask yourself, man, has the gospel become commonplace to me? Have I thought to myself, maybe, you know what, I'm doing okay, I'm good with God. You know, I I don't pray as I used to. I don't read as I used to, but that's okay. It's not okay. We all need to be reminded of the glorious gospel that set us free, man. We were dead. I mean, y'all understand that, right? We were dead in our trespasses and made alive together with Christ. We have a living hope, an undefiled, pure hope, a new hope in a future. Man. But to take this time to acknowledge, man. How have I denied Jesus in my life? How have I failed? And how does the gospel of grace liberate my heart to confess that, that I am accepted by God because of what he's done for me, not by my good measure, not by my good works, man, that we can come back if we're that lost son, If we've walked away, there's hope. Or if we're barely beginning our journey and we feel so tired already, it's because you're trusting in yourself. And you don't need to trust in yourself. You could trust in his work that he did for us. He took the trial. He stood before the ultimate accuser, which is Satan. And he paid our sin debt and he destroyed death. On our behalf, all for us, because He loved us before time began, not because of the good works that we would do, but beforehand, even before the foundations of the world were created. He had you in mind. Amen, let that never, ever, ever ever become common. Like we are dearly loved by God. And he wants us to come back, just to repent, to look to him, say, you know what, Lord, I know I've gotten it wrong. I've denied you. To know, he says, I prayed for you, that your faith will not fail you. Because he's the one that gives the faith to even have faith. And that's hopeful. After you take this time to reflect and repent, family, We would ask that you would come for the front. If you are a follower of Jesus, a disciple of Jesus, we would ask that you would take communion with us. We do it weekly. And take these elements by faith, being reminded that the bread symbolizes the body of Jesus. That he took our place, and the wine represents his shed blood on the cross. To really understand that he bled, dripped blood from his hands and his body. That shed blood on the cross was for you and me. So we could be brought in as being holy, blameless, spotless, forgiven, redeemed, reconciled, restored, renewed, reshaped by the glorious gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ that we can come to him and call him Father. We can call him Father.